We know ground zero in the battle with COVID-19 is in long-term care homes. Is it time to take it away from the provinces and put it in the hands of the federal government? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. More than 8 in 10 deaths from the pandemic have occurred in long-term care in Canada, Ontario, and Quebec, primarily dealing with the most cases. BC struggled at the beginning what was able to clamp down. The situation has many provinces looking inward. How did we let the most vulnerable be at risk? How do you let the frontline people taking care of them to accept a pittance of pay for such crucial work? I really do hope we take a long look in the mirror and decide these people need to be treated respectfully. Two weeks ago, I spoke to Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath about whether long-term care should be uploaded to the federal government, and she saw value in that. As well, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh sees the same thing. Provinces do not like giving up control over health care, though, as they feel it infringes on their sovereignty. On this edition of the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at whether it makes sense to bring it under federal auspices. Coming up later in the show, I'll chat with Melanie Bernard. She's the National Director of Policy and Advocacy with the Canadian Health Coalition. But first, Dr. Pat Armstrong is a distinguished research professor of sociology at York York University. She led the groundbreaking study Reimagining Long-Term Residential Care and the just-released update, which takes into account COVID-19. And the doctor joins us on the Unpublished Cafe. Now, first off, doctor, when you started your study, did you anticipate the condition of uh, long-term care would be in the state it is today? Well, we were looking for ways to make it as good as it could be. So we knew that there were certainly problems in long-term care, problems that had long been identified. And we were trying to look for good ideas worth sharing, as we said, as opposed to continuing to identify all the problems. And for example, uh, almost uh, uh, more than a dozen years ago, we had done a survey comparing people who worked in long-term care with, in Canada with those who worked in Nordic countries in terms of their working conditions, but also in terms of things like the level of violence they faced on a daily basis. And we found that in Canada that those people we surveyed said uh, that they faced violence on more or less a daily basis, uh, seven times more often than the people in the Nordic countries did. So we were looking for ways to improve all kinds of things, including the levels of violence that uh, people in Canada faced when they worked in long-term care. The levels of violence being higher in Canada than, than as you mentioned, the Nordic countries, is, is that because of the quality of care of the patients, or is that just uh, is there another, another intangible there? Well, their populations are very similar. So in both countries, the majority of the people in long-term care have a form of dementia. So it can't be attributed primarily or exclusively, at least, to that. Uh, They do have much higher staffing levels in the Nordic country than in Canada, and they have uh, better working conditions in terms of benefits and autonomy and continuity in work, all of which have been identified as things that to help improve the quality of care. From your perspective, how does long-term care reflect its society's values? Well, I think not very well, given mm-hmm. what has been happening in terms of long-term care. I think many of us have would rather not think about long-term care. I know certainly lots of my friends would say, I'm never going into one of those places. And very few people 
uh, as they grow older, think that's where I want to be when I grow up. Uh, But uh, that's where many of us will be when we grow up, because the kinds of complicated care for 24 hours that are required for the people who live in long-term care can't be provided at home. So uh, we need to make those places as good as we can be. Now, I I think we also have a, uh, a discriminate against age that we watch television and so many of the ads are about how you can look young, how you can stay young, uh, not about the benefits of getting older, not about uh, a good old age. Dr. Pat Armstrong is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, distinguished research professor of sociology at York University, who led the groundbreaking study reimagining long-term residential care and the updated version, which takes into account COVID as well. Now, you look at best practices in your study, and it it seems in Ontario and Quebec, the workers in those homes don't receive the respect or acknowledgement of their work. You know, where, what, what other countries, you mentioned the Nordic ones, what other countries have it right for those workers? Well, I'm not sure that there's any one country you can point to and say they were perfect. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons we talk about promising practices rather than best practices is that we don't think that there's one single right way, mm-hmm. that there are numerous ways you can follow the same kinds of standards and principles but uh, play those out in different ways so that the kind of uh, care home that you would need, for example, in downtown Toronto may not be the same as, as what you need in Attawapiskat, but you could still keep to the same kinds of principles, which is also what I would say about the federal role, that the federal government could do as it has done with the Canada Health Act, not take over healthcare in Canada, not even say there is one single right way to organize your hospital and doctor care as they do with the Canada Health Act, but rather say what you need to do is follow these principles. It has to be universal, accessible, uh, comprehensive. Uh, has to, you have to be able to take it from province to province, and the insurance plan itself has to be not-for-profit. Those are principles not taking over uh, the health care, but they're, they are really good standards that can be applied in different ways within different places. So you would, you would like to see the federal government set the standards that the province has to follow, but not take over long-term care itself. Exactly. And I think they need to put some money behind it too, because in order to encourage uh, provinces and territories to follow those standards, they need to say, as they did with the Canada Health Act, you don't have to go along with this, but if you do want to go along with it, we will uh, we'll give you money. And, it, it, I was going to say we have we have three different types of uh, of long term care in Ontario, and do you think you know one's profit, one's a mix, one's municipally owned? Do you think that's part of the problem? There's like three different levels of care. Well, it it it's complicated in terms of the way we provide. Uh, places for people to live as they get older in Canada. It's different in every province. We even call them different things in every province. But when we're talking about, to use the term nursing home, we're talking about places that provide 24-hour care and that receive significant government funding. 
If you're talking about those places, yes, we have three different forms. We have not-for-profits that may be run, you know, by the Catholic Church or the Italian community. Mm-hmm. We have municipal ones, and there's legislation in Ontario that says every municipality of a certain size has to have what used to be called an old age home. And, and then we have for-profits. And Ontario has the largest proportion of their beds in for-profit chain-owned homes. It's about 58%. But then we also have retirement homes that often have people living in them who need significant amounts of care, but that they pay for that privately unless they get home care within their retirement home. But it isn't, retirement homes aren't places that provide uh, 24-hour nursing care, as is the case in, uh, in the, what I'm calling long-term care. Sorry, I guess I didn't get to my answer. Does that make a difference? I think it does. I okay. think we've uh, seen uh, in, for example, the data produced by the Toronto Star that uh, the death rate per bed was almost mm. four times as high in, um, in for-profits as in not-for-profits. Uh, there are multiple reasons for that, I think, but I would also say I don't know why we think that there should be a profit in this kind of care. We don't think there should be hospital uh, care uh, based on profit. So why long-term care based on profit? How have regulations impacted long-term care in Canada? Well, we've uh, done a paper we call It is a Scandal that looked at uh, in five of the six countries we studied uh, when there was a, a scandal that was made uh, obvious in the media, we asked what happened. What was the most likely response? The most likely response was more regulation. And those scandals were most common in the, U- in the U.S., followed by the U.K. and then by Canada. Um, and that those are the countries with the most detailed forms of regulations. But the regulations tend to focus on uh, very detailed aspects like um, how much protein you're supposed to have in a meal, what time you're supposed to be at the table, um, what kinds of documentation has to be done. It, they don't tend to say you have to have, especially not in Canada, how much staff you have to have and what the staff mix should be on in any particular home. So we haven't used the regulations to develop a big picture and to move on the big things. We've focused on much smaller things. You know, when I look back at your report and I look at a lot of the other reports uh, on, on the problems with long-term care in, in well, Ontario and Quebec primarily, you know, personal service workers uh, are, you know, low paid, uh, part-time work, uh, no, no, you know, health protection whatsoever. You know, you look at for profit money's going through the roof for the people, those people that are, that are, you know, in behind it or investors and every report on long-term care for the longest time is pointed to a number of these issues. And every time we turn around, we're back to square one again, what's it going to take to change this? Well, I hope what we've just seen will help us change this and recognize Recognize the number, not only all of the things you just described, which are really important, but uh, also that this is skilled work. Mm-hmm. And, and if you read the military reports, and uh, for instance, and see that people aren't getting to eat, that they haven't been properly helped to eat, that's skilled work. 
when you're trying to deal with someone who has dementia and who's probably scared and, and even on a daily basis, uh, you have to know how to talk them into eating. You have to know how to make the food tempting. You have to make sure that they don't choke. Uh, this is skilled work, and uh, you can't just take any woman off the street. Because, And this is one of the issues here, I think. Mm-hmm. 90% of those personal support workers in Ontario are women. And in part, we think, well, this is just something any woman can do by virtue of being a woman. Um, and, and of course, a lot of the work women do in the home is skilled work. But when you have to have particular skills when you take it into long-term care, and we've, we really haven't paid a lot of attention to that and to thinking about what those skills are. And that, I would argue, includes uh, the cleaning, <laughs> because it's very different cleaning mm-hmm. a long-term care home than it is cleaning your own home, even if we assume we do that correctly. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the laundry is, is very yeah. different. You know, carries infections. In fact, we've written a whole book called Wash, Wear, and Care that is about clothes and laundry and long-term care. And we we have not looked at those areas and how integral they are to providing care. You know, meals are the main event of the day in a long-term care home. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and if what happens is a, a food tray is plunked in front of you in the room and somebody walks out, you know. Not it, all that exciting. Yeah, you're probably not even going to eat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Dr. Armstrong, I want to thank you for joining us. I thank you for paying attention to this issue. Dr. Pat Armstrong is a distinguished research professor of sociology at York University. Now, her report has been updated to take into account the COVID-19 pandemic. The Canadian Health Coalition has been around for 40-plus years championing the cause. Melanie Benar is the National Director of Policy and Advocacy with the Coalition, and she joins us now. And Melanie... The coalition wants a national strategy on long-term care. From uh, the coalition's perspective, how would that look? So we're calling for national standards, dedicated federal funding for long-term care tied to national standards uh, to ensure that all seniors across the country can access uh, quality care, safe care. Obviously, that has not been the case, as has been revealed by the the COVID pandemic. So uh, we are really calling for urgent action. And we're also wanting to take profit out of seniors care. So ensure that these long-term care facilities are not for profit and that all public funding is being used uh, for patient or resident care. Uh, one of the issues, uh, I think, in a lot of communities is the lack of space for uh, long-term care. And how much more does Canada need to build? So I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think we uh, I read somewhere that we need to actually double the capacity of the, so the number of beds that we have uh, between now and 2035 in order to meet the demand. So. This is something we've known about for quite some time. Um, The fact that we uh, have a shortage of beds and also some of the issues with the quality of care. And um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we haven't really managed to uh, get the the public or the government's attention to to really focus uh, and address this issue. Um, And we're hoping that now that the lid has kind of been taken off of this situation and all of these great tragedies uh, have occurred and, and uh, the conditions in these facilities have been revealed that we're actually going to uh, see that action now. 
Now, if uh, we end up creating more beds, which we do need, that's also going to mean more workers. But uh, the, the, a lot of these uh, facilities are chronically understaffed. Where, where do you find the people? Well, we know that if we provide better working conditions for workers, so higher wages, obviously, for people, uh, in particular personal support workers that are paid uh, close to minimum wage a lot of the time for work that is uh, physically and emotionally quite strenuous and actually requires a fair bit of training. Um, so if we provided proper compensation for that work, um, created full-time jobs instead of precarious part-time jobs, temporary jobs, which is a lot of what we see in this sector, then it would make it a lot easier to recruit, but also to retain uh, those, those workers. Melanie Benar is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. She's the National Director of Policy and Advocacy with the Canadian Health Coalition. As we talk about long-term care and the federal government, we talk about it's the, uh, you, you would like to see national standards set by the federal government. Would you like to see you know, those standards set and maybe the federal government could just run long-term care in general because each province seems to have a different way of approaching it? Yeah, so there are jurisdictional issues here in the area of healthcare. So uh, the provinces primarily have jurisdiction over healthcare, but the federal government also has an important role to play. We see that with uh, the funding for doctors and hospitals, which is governed by a federal law called the Canada Health Act. So in order to access funding for healthcare, the provinces have to meet certain standards that are uh, in that piece of legislation. Um, so there's no reason why we couldn't do something similar for long-term care. So it wouldn't actually be the federal government delivering the care, but they would be providing uh, at least a good portion of the funding and also uh, ensuring that these standards are being met, things like staffing ratios, um, and uh, the number of hours of direct care that each resident would be receiving per day. Um, so there'd be a role for both levels of government here. You, you mentioned uh, there would be, you'd take the profit out of, of uh, long-term care. Uh, how would you go about taking the profit out of it? Well, I think that uh, that those discussions are taking place right now. There has been a lot of privatization in this sector, uh, unfortunately, because um, we think that this uh, long-term care and, and home care, for that matter, should have been part of our public health care system from the get-go. But there has been a, a, a high degree of privatization over the years. So um, there are different ways of doing that. We've seen during the COVID crisis in countries like Spain, Italy, and Ireland, for example, um, governments have taken over uh, private medical clinics and private hospitals in order to better be able to uh, contain the, the COVID uh, outbreak in mm -hmm. those facilities and within the public. So there are ways that the government can take over for-profit facilities, but at least a, a first step that we could take immediately would be to ensure that uh, going forward, no public funding is used for for-profit facilities, that we're really investing in in uh, more public, uh, publicly funded and publicly delivered long-term care facilities. Melanie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Melanie Benars, the National Director of Policy and Advocacy with the Canadian Health Coalition. Now it's time for you to weigh in on our unpublished dot vote question. Would putting long-term care in Canada under federal jurisdiction improve the quality? 
Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. I want to thank Dr. Pat Armstrong, Distinguished Research Professor of Sociology at York, York University, and Melanie Benar of the Canadian Health Coalition for joining us. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.